0: Welcome to the Pachanga and Possibility Podcast, the podcast where we celebrate the power of healing and transformation. I am your host, Natalie Calzadilla. Each week, I'll be interviewing experts that will inspire you to discover your soul's purpose and create a fulfilling life. I'll also be sharing spiritual coaching and personal adventures as I enter this new phase in my life as a mother and entrepreneur. Grab your cafecito and a notebook. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Pachanga and Possibility. So today we're talking about spiritual counseling and we have our special guest, Dr. Tom Norris. Now I'm going to go into his bio and I need to take a really big deep breath because he has been doing this work for 50 years and his credentials are intense and amazing. So here it goes. Tom is the CEO and founder of Inner Life Transformation, a spiritual counseling practice. In 2011, when it was launched, it became the first counseling center in the world to offer online counseling, serving people from all walks of life in places as diverse as Bahrain, England, Argentina, Mexico, Thailand, the Philippines, and so on. Tom brings 50 years of experience as a social worker, psychotherapist, group therapist, marriage and family therapist, hypnotherapist, pastoral slash spiritual counselor, past life regressionist, and trainer to this work. Through all of this, his lifelong advocacy for children and adult survivors of abuse has been the central theme of his work. In addition to his private practice, he has worked for the state of Delaware as a child protective services social worker and then as an assistant for the Miami-Dade County Manager's Office in the areas of HUD, victim services, domestic violence, police planning, crime prevention, community services, and corrections. Tom has a Master of Social Work, a Master of Divinity, and a Doctor of Ministry degrees. He teaches in the Religious Studies Department of Florida International University and authored a book titled A Fresh Cup of Tolerance, subtitled Universalism, The New Religion of Tolerance, which can be found on Amazon and all major booksellers. He's also currently completing his second book, A Fresh Cup of Counseling, subtitled A Handbook of Spiritual Counseling. Hand in hand with this book, Tom is inaugurating the International Guild of Certified Spiritual Counselors and Coaches as an organization devoted to the training and development of excellent spiritual counselors and coaches. He is also an ordained senior minister for the Universalist Church he founded in 1992, Medicine Science Spiritual Center. Woo, that was a mouthful. (laughs) So, as we can see, is somebody that I'm very excited to have on the show and I'm really excited about this interview. We got into a lot of juicy stuff about what it means to do spiritual counseling, to experience it. I shared some of my personal stories. He shared many of his. Um, we also talk about what it takes to become a spiritual counselor. What are the first you know, healing signs when somebody's ready to seek out spiritual counseling? and just lots of juiciness. So definitely, I'm excited to share this episode with you. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Tom Norris. So hi, Tom, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great.
1: And I'm very happy to be here, Natalie.
0: Awesome. So let's talk about spiritual counseling. What is it? And how does it differ from traditional therapy?
1: Well, I think um, maybe one of the best ways to explain it is my own story, Um, how I got inspired to become a spiritual counselor. It sort of happened by accident. I was a psychotherapist for many years, marriage and family therapist and all that, and I noticed that my clients were hitting a wall in therapy, and that was similar to the same wall I had hit in my own therapy because I was working through issues from my childhood as well. And I uh, wondered about this. Um, In 1988, we had the Harmonic Convergence, which was a worldwide spiritual, well, harmonic balancing of the planet, people coming together. Um, At the time, I wasn't as spiritual as I am today, and I kind of made fun of it and called the spiritual love fest holding hands. But, (laughs) (laughs) But the joke is on me because within a year i just started to get this incredible spiritual thirst i just could not get enough of workshops uh, lakota sweat lodges uh, books on everything you know i mean just about everything spiritual and uh, i noticed that as i started applying some of the spiritual techniques i was reading and learning about um my therapy just took off and i worked through a lot i said hmm Maybe this will work for my clients. So I started introducing things like the medicine wheel, the Native American medicine wheel, the yin and yang concept, um, let's see, chakra balancing, past life regressions. And like me, people's uh, therapy uh, seemed to um, speed up two or three times faster. And I haven't looked back since. (laughs) So so spiritual counseling really um, includes all of those kinds of modalities. Uh, you know, one another word for it is transpersonal psychology. It goes beyond the personal life story that most therapists uh, stay with. It takes us into multi-dimensional. It takes you into our higher selves, to the soul level. It um, works with energy and uh, things like that. I do past lives. I do inner child regression. That a whole smorgasbord that the traditional psychotherapist and psychologist and psychiatrist really doesn't have. So that, did, that's kind of how I got into it.
0: Yes, that I can definitely relate as a prior client. And that was the biggest difference that I saw in the in the difference between therapies, that I had gone to traditional psychotherapy and it was okay. But when we did the spiritual counseling, it was like a whole other level of insight and progress and aha moments. Like, I just feel like what I had even accomplished, even in one month of seeing you was like the equivalent of like months with other therapists. And it just made such a huge difference. So how long have you been doing now the switch you did this regular, uh, regular therapy for how long? And then you've been doing spiritual counseling for how long?
1: Well, I've been a counselor for about 50 years now. Mm -hmm. Started out in 1970 as a little social worker, one in the state of Delaware, doing child abuse prevention work. And uh, that's been kind of my lifelong work as child advocacy and adult survivors. But um, I would say probably about 1990 on is when I really got into the spiritual counseling aspect. And so, like I said, I haven't, haven't looked back since. Now, I was doing aspects of it probably as early as 1986, that was my first past life uh, regression, which um, uh, the way God works with me is like, uh, if I'm supposed to learn something new, I get inundated with information. Friends say, hey, why don't you read this book? I go to a workshop, there it is again, Uh, movies, you you name it, I, I just all of a sudden it's like bombarded. So at that time, I had just finished reading Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters, which is one of the foundation books in spiritual therapy. And um, I thought, like Brian himself, I was kind of skeptical, because Brian had been skeptical at first, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, okay, that's nice. But, I, you know, I'm a Westerner. And we weren't brought up that way. And so I thought, well, that's nice, but I'm not sure I really believe that. And I had a client um, in my book. I call her Trish. She's in my little case study. Um, I still know Trish to this day. But um, she was um, an incest survivor. And I'd been working with her for about a year and a half. And she'd done great work on healing about her dad and so on and so forth. But um, she had this really low-life, no-good boyfriend named Fred. And Fred was like um, a coke addict and he's a cheater and he'd stay out for days at a time. I mean, poor, poor Trish, she was just caught in that codependency trap like so many people have been, including myself at times. And uh, so she finally had the courage to get rid of him. And then she went into this severe depression for six months, I mean, really bad. So I thought, okay, well, there must be some stuff from the past, let's work on that. So we are doing an inner child regression and I took her back to um, infancy, and all of a sudden she said, I see a horse. I thought, okay, a little odd, Um, what color is it? It's brown, and she says there's a man sitting on it. And at that moment I said, hmm, this doesn't sound typical. So I said, how old are you? She said, 21, I said, okay, what do you look like? I'm blonde and I'm wearing a simple woolen shift, um, and Trish is a redhead, so I said, uh-oh, I think we've just jumped into a past life, just like Brian Weiss has described it. So it, turned, it went on, and she, this young man was her fiancé. He was a, a young peasant warrior. He's going off to war for his king, and she begged him not to. He didn't have to go, and he said rather coldly, I must go and follow my king, and he never came back. And so she grieved the rest of that life. And it was 1595, and it was somewhere up in the northern, and she said the cold lands, which would be like Scandinavia or something like that. Um, so she's just sobbing as she realizes he never came back. And halfway, about well, half, this went on for 45 minutes, just sobbing hysterically. And all of a sudden she said, Oh my God, it's Fred. <laughs> and she realized that she was grieving over a 400 year old boyfriend uh, who was not very nice in this life. He was still abandoning her. Mm-hmm. And literally from that moment on, the depression was gone.
0: That's I said, amazing.
1: I said, okay, God, you win. Okay. And after that, I got a whole bunch of past lives in a row. I said, fine, I get it. Good. <laughs> okay. Thank you.
0: <laughs> it's time to do the, the past life thing to be a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 So from that moment on, we started doing past lives and I guess that would be the first step into the, um, more transpersonal and spiritual counseling
0: similarly when I've done regressions with you I've definitely healed a lot of trauma around mm-hmm. and and I, I'm a skeptic also like had I not gone through it I started my spiritual path as an atheist and if mm-hmm. it wasn't for you know medicine signs and the counseling center and the different things that we fell into, I wouldn't have been gotten to where I was and experiencing the past life regressions it's I've been in that seat where I'm crying and reliving experiences that feel like they're my imagination. And then we hit like an aha moment and all of a sudden the trauma and the trigger and the fear is all gone. It's if you don't experience it for yourself, I think it's hard to describe to other people. You just kind of have to try it and let go and kind of surrender, almost play along Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you're like sobbing like a, like a three-year-old going, this makes no sense. Exactly. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're magically better. Um, so, yeah, definitely the past life regression component of spiritual counseling has been great. What are the other parts that you feel are really big themes and very different from the traditional therapy within spiritual counseling?
1: Right. By the way, I have to make a little side comment. Um, you're a strange, yeah. a, you're a strange atheist, Reverend Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Natalie is one of our uh, assistant ministers in the uh, Medicine Science Spiritual Center, so and, and really uh, part of the backbone of the church for sure. Anyway, <laughs> if you would in, have
0: asked me ten years ago, I never would have thought I would have been here.
1: <laughs> I, I think you you have asked me thirty years ago if I was going to be a minister, I would have you know, fallen over, you know, and fainted in disbelief. So, yes, uh, when, when we're ready to get the spiritual stuff, it sort of hits. So mm-hmm. anyway, in answering to your question, what's the difference? First of all, let me make it very clear. Spiritual counseling is not Christian counseling.
0: And I have nothing uh, against That's a yeah. good differentiation, because yeah. that's definitely where my mind went in the beginning. Like when you hear that, sure. that's the first thing my mind goes to. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. And, and listen, I have nothing <laughs> against Christian counselors and they, they do wonderful work, but they're very evangelical. Um, most Christian counselors go very biblical and they're really within a more conservative um, movement of counseling where it's strictly christian based um, in spiritual counseling uh, we don't impose our beliefs uh, spiritual beliefs onto our clients at all. And by the way, I don't like the word client but it's the word we use in the profession. Um, I think of them as just people I work with <laughs> so but anyway uh, so. The difference is is that we don't evangelize and we don't impose our beliefs. I mean, I work with atheists. I work with traditional conservative Christian Christians. I work with conservative Muslims and Orthodox okay. Jews, and, and I work with them just fine. And we go to whatever level of spirituality or none that they want. So it's, it's a very open-ended kind of counseling. You're, you're really there for your client's needs, not yours. And, uh, and you, you know, you're not trying to impose some sort of spiritual belief system on them.
0: Thank you for that. I feel like it's almost what makes it more, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, what makes it more spiritual counseling. It's almost like it's just the tools that are being used, but not like beliefs that are being imposed. Like, I feel like there's just a different toolbox that we're reaching into that can kind of reach deeper levels.
1: Yeah, yeah I have this, um, you know, I have this wonderful psychotherapy and social work. Uh, marriage and family therapy, hypnotherapy toolbox that I brought into this, the spiritual tools at a whole nother level of tools. And uh, so when you put them all together, uh, it's just an incredibly effective um, program for people to transform and heal.
0: Absolutely. And one of those tools that always crack that cracks me up personally when I've been on the receiving end is that I'm sitting on the couch and you're like, oh, my guides just told me. And then your guides uh, throw me under the bus.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to get the information that I didn't really trust and being a skeptic, a Westerner, as I said. Um, and I went to this wonderful um, spiritual counselor named Penny Alexander. Penny's just an amazing lady. And she was doing magnetic healing and all this sort of stuff, and it really kind of got me on track. But she would do this little thing where she'd cock her head, and, and it'd be like she's listening to something. And finally, I says, Penny, what are you doing? She says, oh, my guides are giving me information. And I went, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so after that, I just got very brazen about it and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting information, and... Um, and my guides, they just they do not let me off the hook. They give me information I do not want to hear. They give me information that can be embarrassing sometimes. But every time that I'm in I think I'm gonna be embarrassed, or it's gonna be embarrassing for the client, I'll just say, This is the information I'm receiving. Please understand this is not coming from me. And we share it and it turns out right on target. Every single time, and I and I've learned to just trust that. Listen, they joke with me. They tell me when to turn the chicken over on the barbecue, and if I don't listen, and if I don't listen, it, it, they burn. I kind of get the feeling they're up there playing poker, looking down. Okay, Tom, time to turn over the turn over the chicken, you know. And I just look at them and just say, "Really? Okay."
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, Thank so, God for our guides, even helping yeah. with the small <laughs> stuff.
1: Well, they you know they do have a sense of humor. I mean, they're they're, they're very human in some ways, and obviously they're transformational, also a transcendent. So.
0: Absolutely. So one thing that I know as a running theme in your style of counseling is inner children. Yes. Mm-hmm. So i love if you can touch about what exactly is that concept and how it works and why it's so effective because I feel like that's been one of the biggest things in this style of counseling that has been really just powerful.
1: Yeah, and it's not just a, a spiritual tool, that's a psychotherapeutic tool as well. You know, back in the 1970s, um a lot of us young social workers who were working in these really difficult areas like child abuse and domestic violence and stuff like that We uh, began to notice that a lot of our clients sometimes just did not seem to be adults. (laughs) They were acting like kids. There was nothing in the literature about that, and so it was kind of our individual experience. We would get together at these big conferences like Child Welfare League of America, and we'd exchange uh, ideas and notes, and we'd all kind of like had come up with this idea of an inner child. And uh, yet there was nothing in the literature until... Charles Whitfield, Dr. Whitfield, in, in, um, I think, 1984. And then uh, John Bradshaw, who's really the one I think was that really broke through with his book Homecoming in 1986. Um, John's work was the one that just pulled it all together. And uh, I recommend that book to anybody, especially the audio book, because John does the actual reading himself. Although he passed Mm -hmm. last year, John has been... One of my mentors, for sure. I've taken many of his workshops, and a, just an amazing man. I'm, he helped literally hundreds of thousands of people on this planet just through his workshops. Forget his books and his, his New York Times bestsellers and his his PBS awarded uh, family uh, therapy series on uh, PBS and all that. He just helped so many people with codependency and wounded inner children. So the concept is that one of my um, Favorite people was Virginia Satir. She was the founder of the family therapy movement. And uh, Virginia's passed some many years ago. But I had the opportunity to meet her when she, when she was a speaker for us locally one time. And um, and she said that in her research, uh, she found that eighty percent of families are dysfunctional, from mildly to severely. Uh, about eight percent, twelve percent are adequate. And only eight percent are optimal. And in over the years, that's uh, kind of What I have found, I do I do admit that I work and have worked in very difficult areas, you know, sexual assault, child abuse, domestic violence, traumatic, addictive behaviors, that kind of stuff, uh, all the PTSD stuff. But at the same time, for many people, I find, uh, you know, you hear this. A lot of people say, oh, that's just the past. It's over and done with. Let's just move on and a lot of times that's people who are skeptical of therapy because therapy really oftentimes says yeah but our past can be like a hand from the grave choking the present and wow. so we don't, yeah so if we, don't, you know, if we don't go back and heal what happened to us as children and um you know what happens to us as children even children in rather normal homes are going to run into you know grandpa or grandma's going to die Somebody's going to get cancer. Their favorite pet is going to die, and you know, hit by a car. And these are traumas that children have. But of course, there's a lot worse ones than that too. So nobody gets through their childhood unscathed. So I work with the people where it's still unhealed, whatever those traumas were: child abuse, child neglect, um, some kind of severe family dysfunction, dis- or family dysfunction of some kind, and so on and so forth. What I discovered was that we have trauma points, like different ages um, where maybe this is the age when mom and dad got a divorce. Um, this was the age where dad was drinking all the time and beating us all up. This was the age and so so forth. And we found that there's this various kind of trauma um, milestone ages for children. And so usually the you'll have a sad child, you'll have a lonely child, you'll have an angry child. You'll have the hopeful child, you'll have the hopeless child. It goes rebellious
0: to, child, The
1: <laughs> Yes, the
0: rebellious the child the one that likes that ran my life for a long time.
1: <laughs> exactly. The addictive child for a lot of people. And um and so when we go back and we catch those ages and we work on those traumas, we find that the adult begins to heal. Now a lot of people think it's a wonderful mental health paradigm. I say no 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 no. I really believe these children are real because I can see the change. I've seen people sitting in my couch, and I've seen literally their face changed. You have to be really careful and watch it. It's like when I used to work with multiple personality disorder to watch the switch, There's a, but there's telltales. All of a sudden, that person is not 36 years old. You're looking at an 8-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 3-year-old. And they may still talk somewhat like an adult, but you know something's different. And oftentimes it's accompanied with a deep feeling of grief or anger or hurt or something like that. And so um, I call them the family within. And uh, I I think that our goal is to get all the inner children on the same page. Um, Instead of that rebellious child, we understand who that rebellious child is and why she was so angry. And that she oftentimes had really good reason. I often talk to the person as I'm ta- as if I'm talking to their child. I believe I am. I'll say, okay, eight, what's going on today? And you'll hear an eight-year-old's answer come back out. Okay? Um, so for me, uh, the inner child uh, concept has been really about all the different pieces of ourselves finally coming together. Now, many years ago, there was a theory that, okay, when you do all that healing, then they just sort of integrate and all become one. And I, I, I remember hearing that. Um, we read that in one of my codependency women's groups. And all of us, and, I, and the women said, oh, that's really nice. It's, they all sort of meld. And, and my inner children said, no, we don't want to die. <laughs> and, I, and, and, I, and I got it. I said, no, our inner children have a right to be here. They were part of who we are. But we'd like them to be happy and healthy, and so that's why I call it the family within. And uh, and I found that uh, I you know my my paradigm is I'm sit I'm, I'm I love camping so I'm sitting around I'm the den father, and I've got these all these little inner children sitting around the campfire. We're roasting weenies and marshmallows, and you know from the tiniest baby to my oldest inner child, which was about 17, and we're cool. And if they've got an issue, they're right there. They can talk to me. So is that too weird?
0: (laughs) No, no. Only if I would have, if you would have told me that before I worked with you, (laughs) perhaps. But now having gone through it, it's, I can attest that it's exactly what happens. You know, many times I sat on that couch as many different ages and it was, and it was surprising to see, like, once you're aware of it, you're, it's surprising when you catch it in yourself. And then it's amusing when you catch it in other people, (laughs) because then I start (laughs) like like supervisors,
1: or like when you're having an argument with your significant other, and you realize exactly both of us are about seven years old right now.
0: (laughs) Exactly, it was mind blowing, and I was like, I can't talk to you know when I could see it in, in 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 adults and supervisors and parents occasionally, and I was just like, wow, like this is a whole other paradigm, and I would even question if I wanted to even handle the problem at that moment, because I knew they weren't in their adult. And so Mm -hmm. it was almost like I would purposefully wait for things to kind of pass till I see more of their adult come in to handle the situation, because I knew I was talking to a very wounded side of them. Uh, It was definitely very powerful and helpful. And yeah, it sounds funny when we're like, okay, we're sitting by the fire and all our we're gonna let her and her children have fun and roast marshmallows. But if you kind of what you said was important about it. it's like, it's not like we're integrating all these inner children and they kind of like merge into you and they're gone and now mm-hmm. you're whole. It's like, no, you just carry like this family with you. That's now a functional, happy family. And, you are and, whole. and you're whole and it's not made up of a bunch of sad or pissed off inner children. Everybody's just having a good time now. And we got to love like all of those ages of ours.
1: Yeah. I have a, a client who's a yoga instructor, and she does this amazing thing. Every Saturday morning, she gets into yoga pose. Um, She asks her kids which music they like. And usually it's her 13-year-old who loves things like Nirvana. So she puts on, you know, that music. And uh, she'll start with her one-year-old and work all the way up to 17. And she'll say, I just want you to know I love you. I'm here. She can even envision hugging them and all that. What do you need from me? Okay, how can I help? And they'll say things like, I want to ride my bike, or I want to do the coloring book, or I want to watch Finding Nemo, and so on and so forth. And um, and so she does that every week. She honors the kids' wishes, and she said she's never been happier in her life. She says, I just feel like I'm a kid, but I'm also an adult, and I'm having a great time. Wow. Yeah, I, I got, you, know, you know my wife. Um, Kathy is the eternal inner child, okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah. My grandson gave her a great compliment a couple of years ago. He said, you know, Grandma, why you um you get along with so many people? And she said, what? She said, well, you meet them at their level. And she really does. Mm-hmm. So she had a birthday a few years ago. And uh, so I said, honey, what would you like to do? I wanted to see a movie. I said, okay, great. I dreaded the answer because I kind of figured what was coming. I said, what do you want to see, hon? Tigger. Okay, babe. So we went and saw a Tigger. We were the only ones over 10 in the entire audience.
0: That's and, so cute.
1: And we had a blast. And Kathy was just happy as a clam for a month. And, and it's sort of like she really knows how to take care of herself. And once I got over the my, my inner teenager, Tigger, really? Uh-huh. When I let go of that, I really enjoyed it too. It was cute. Okay? So who, who can't like Winnie the Pooh, really? So, Seriously.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And yeah. it just shows like how... When we honor those inner children, like it does, you're more balanced, you feel more, you know, just that peace, you're not trying to be an adult serious all the time. Like we don't have to lose that, that inner or like child wonder that we have when we're young, that makes everything beautiful. And we're curious and all of that. And I feel like as we get older, sometimes we get stuck in adulting so much that we forget how to play.
1: In fact, you just hit upon one of the most important. when well, all the children are important, but really important was what I call the wonder child. Many times, this child kind of gets beaten out of existence by age four, uh, and it's really sad because that's the child who thinks, "What's why is the sky blue?" and "Look at the butterflies," and I mean everything is just sort of wonder, uh, where the, it's the little scientist inside of us. So, lots of times, I help try to help people get connected to what was the oldest age that they managed to keep their child in wonder before the world kind of beat them down or or whatever was happening in their family kind of made them lose hope. And usually it's three or four. And when they get reconnected to that wonder child, it's opens up so much laughter and joy that they'd forgotten about.
0: That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Very important. In general, why do you think that healing is important? Because I've, in, I guess since I've started my own healing journey, I've become such a huge advocate for counseling, and. And I feel that I wish everybody had, you know, it would go to some form, shape, way or form of therapy. Um, It doesn't have to be spiritual counseling. Just because I feel like having that soundboard is so powerful. I feel like it just makes life a lot easier if you just have like a third party. And a lot of people take offense to it. They're like, how am I going to, why am I going to share my problems with somebody else? They don't know me. Who are they to tell me? But I feel like that outside perspective is exactly what you need. I do feel though that like finding a good therapist is like also you kind of gotta take it like you're dating where you gotta find one that you <laughs> click with you know that you have a connection with, but once you have that, I feel it's so powerful. But what are like signs of healing? Signs that you're ready to maybe burn? yeah just to seek kind of help outside of because I feel there's like subtle signs. Sorry, I mean to interrupt you. There's like subtle signs where if you catch it now, the shit won't hit the fan later right and then there's like the obvious ones like okay now you're addicted to something or there's like domestic violence something insane so i feel like if we catch Mm -hmm. it early like what are the early symptoms or signs
1: well um something that most of us don't pay attention to that little voice inside our head that's that quiet little voice that's telling us that something's wrong that something's off balance and so on and so forth and i didn't listen to that for a long time and um and that that little voice is always correct. I guess it's our intuition, our our higher self. And uh, so many people don't listen to that because they've been taught to plow on, um, to repress their feelings and so on and so forth. I'll give you an example. Um, It's a sad one. Um, This has happened a couple of times. I get guys who come in for therapy finally after their wives have been begging them for years, the week after the wife finally left him for the last time, and that's it, you know. Or the week before their their wedding, and and those guys, these two actually stuck with it and have changed their lives dramatically. But you know, they knew they were supposed to come in at least a year or two before, and they didn't listen. So all I can say is that um, many people already know the signs, and and the key is, who doesn't want to be happy? If you're not happy, whether it's about work or your parenting skills, or your childhood, or your marriage, or your significant relationship, if there's an area of unhappiness, why would you want to stay stuck in that? But so many of us have been taught, well, we can do it ourselves. And I I just, you know, I I often, I I know I've said this to you, I tell my clients, if Jesus went through your childhood, he'd be Zooming with me now. (laughs) Okay and and they laugh but i said i'm not no i'm not kidding because anybody who goes through some of these childhoods there's going to be some trauma some wounds some damage from it and nobody escapes it children are vulnerable thus everybody handles it differently some will handle it better than others but nobody gets away unscathed
0: absolutely yeah that was one of the biggest things that i learned when it comes to trauma was that And you had mentioned this earlier that trauma doesn't have to be like you got abused or hit or severely neglected. Like trauma can just be, you received like information just you landed differently for you or you misunderstood a circumstance. And all of a sudden you gave it all this, all of these meanings that were not true. And you have like this trauma and it's going to play out for the rest of your life. Like it can be something that looks really subtle to the outside Mm. person, but to you, it was extremely traumatic And I think without a professional, you can't. It's really hard to identify kind of those more milder or subtle traumas, but still have a huge impact. The other thing I wanted to uh, to mention was you mentioned the men. If we can, have you seen? Are the stats true? Do more women than men go to counseling?
1: When I first, uh, well, back in the probably about 1980s, I guess when I was um, really getting into the psychotherapy even more. Um, the ratio was six to one, uh, six women to every one guy that comes in for counseling. I'm finding it's much closer to 60-40 um, now, uh, we are 60% women, 40% men. There's a lot of men waking up, and um, I guess our generation, is it's, it's not so scary to think about going for counseling. Um, I even tease my Cuban macho guys to come in, see, it wasn't so bad. They laughed. And they said, but they know their dads would never be caught dead in, in the counselor's office. And then sometimes we get the dads in. So
0: oh wow, th- yeah,
1: th- yeah, things are changing, absolutely. It, it, obviously, it's not just the Cuban guys; it's 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 all the guys on the planet who've been brought up in this kind of macho culture that we can handle it ourselves. But that's changing dramatically.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I'm glad to hear that it's more 60 40 now. And I just mm-hmm. want to say to the listeners, Tom was a football player in high school, right? Like, weren't <laughs> yes. you like the big jock and everything? Like this. <laughs> no,
1: I was this really weird guy. I, <laughs> I, I played first trombone in the band and I was on the football team and I was head of the literary society. So I
0: was <laughs> so all I three was, of those?
1: Yeah, I was kind of this nerdy football player. And I was a good bench sitter. I wasn't really very good at football, but hey, I made the team. You know, you made it was the
0: cool. Team. It was cool. I love that. So head of the literary society you said, <laughs> yeah. played trombone and football. That's yeah. great. Yeah.
1: So I lost my first seat uh, because I couldn't be in the marching band because it was a little hard to do that and and uh, play football the same day.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have any favorite like healing and transformation stories? I mean, I know you've yeah. shared a few, but some that are really like stick out. Well, I got two,
1: I got more like two types,
0: okay? Okay, okay. Uh
1: the first type is the people who are really mired in the trauma of their childhood. And it's really played out with like severe depression or some type of addictions or stuff like that. And um and they're really They're just so stuck and they're they're tough because they've got some inner children that are hopeless and and are cynical and don't think there's any chance that this can work and so on and so forth. But the neat thing is I get so many people come in and, and and I tell them after the first session in 50 years, I have never seen anybody who works as hard as you in this first session like you just did where they opened up completely and we got into some really heavy stuff already who hasn't turned out to be in such a better place. I mean, without exception, I mean, I'm talking thousands of people, people who put the work in, you know, they eventually overcome the addiction or they overcome the, um, whatever the trauma was, the relationship trauma, whatever it is, and they are in a better place. So those are my stories and I have a lot. Now listen, we're not miracle workers, although miracles do happen, but I don't consider those miracles because of me I can see that because of spirit flowing through into the uh, the counseling um, So yeah we have our failures we have people who aren't ready. we make mistakes. I made a big mistake recently and like you know I just had to really kind of like really forgive myself on that. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic and I think I was uh, I was worried about a lot of things and I wasn't on my game but it wasn't anything that couldn't be worked out and it did. But the point is, we're, we're, we're human, and so spiritual counselors aren't perfect people either. In fact, we learned a lot from my mistake that actually enhanced the therapy. So in the Wonderful. end. Yeah. Um, the second group um, is the group where they're mired in their codependency pattern, and they can't seem to break it, and they keep picking people over and over and over again that turn out to be... People, not bad people, but people that are emotionally unavailable, or they have their addiction or abusive issues, and so on and so forth. And and these particular people have such difficulty having hope. And so I do tarot readings for them, and I tell them two years, two years. What do you mean? Okay, stuff like that. And um, but you know that's what the guides say. And um, and what's been really nice is lately, is I have a whole group of these people who had just given up hope because God has a sense of humor. And just when they said, fine, that's it, I give up, There's, I'll never have a healthy relationship, plop into their lap, comes somebody they didn't expect, and um, and a whole bunch of them, by the way, are having kids. And they, um, they uh, uh, I, I must have five of those people right now. It's like, what's going on here? But it's interesting because those are wonderful stories, too, because I never lost faith. I knew my guides would, would say, you know, this person is going to meet the right person one of these days. They are going to have the kid or they're going to have whatever it is that they that they want in their life. And it's been turning out to be true lately. And I've just been really I've been feeling really gratit, a lot of gratitude
0: about that. So. I can definitely speak to that. I know one <laughs> of those people you're talking about is me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but not just you. Literally, I have my people now that the same stuff is happening. So, okay. That's,
0: and that's wonderful, because as a recovering codependent, it did, it took a long time to break the pattern for me. And I felt that helplessness for many years, and it was frustrating. And you know, you'd be like, it's it's going to get better, like stick through it. It's and pride. you would, you know, try to get me to have hope. <laughs> I would think I'd meet a, you know, a good person, a the perfect mate. And then the codependency pattern would come right back up. And it was really, it was tough. It was tough work. And it was true the same thing when I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm done with this. I'm just gonna focus on being happy and bringing like as m- all this love that I'm trying to find to to put into one person. I'm just gonna put it into the planet, and into my community. And if somebody comes along, great. And if someone doesn't, then fantastic. But you know what? I'm no, I'm I'm tired of waiting to be happy. And to feel love from a specific person, like, I'm going to just do this in general to my community. And within, like, maybe a month or two from making that declaration, <laughs> everything fell together. And I was just like, seriously, that was what I needed to do. <laughs> but no, it was a lot of hard work. It was, I t- but I, I
1: could relate to it as well. Because in the 20 years between my marriages, I also I had some very nice people in my life. But clearly, they well, the, the codependency pattern was there, and in my last relationship, I have to thank my friends Ivana and Claudio from um, Argentina. They were staying with the person who was my I was with at the time, and one day I came out from the office and they were so angry. And I said, "What are you angry at?" Well, your 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 girlfriend and her kids. You do all the work around here. You make all the meals. You're holding the family together. You work two jobs, and they don't lift a finger. I said, "No, not really." And I said, no, I did it again. I became the codependent earth daddy taking care of everybody. So I walked into the room 15 minutes, one person. And I walked out 15 minutes later, a different person. Like I just knew. And we broke up uh, mutually within about three or four months. And I said, that's it. Um, I'm no longer going to, nobody's going to be in my life. Great. I'm just going to enjoy my life and just be me. And of course, within a couple of weeks, Kathy walked into my life. So. It's that surrender, uh, that just letting go, I think, Mm -hmm. that was the key.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure that we have listeners that might be already counselors or on some sort of path as healers or coaches. If they're interested in becoming a spiritual counselor and doing this path, how do they do that?
1: There are some truly gifted people out there who may not have the credentials. Uh, but yet they're really good uh, as spiritual counselors. Unfortunately, I also know a whole lot of people out there that call themselves spiritual counselors who I would not be really happy for them to how to handle a rape victim or how to handle a, an abuse history and stuff like that. Um, so my, my bias, and I admit it, um, is that they should be getting professional training. So for life coaches, they should go through life coaching certification programs so they know what they're doing. And for therapists, they should at least have a master's degree in social work or marriage and family therapy or counseling or psychology or a PhD um, because we are a credentialed society. And I think that people with that kind of training and experience, they're better prepared to deal with some of the really difficult cases that come will come your way just naturally as a counselor. Um, I still get cases where I have to really like take a deep breath, and, and even after 50 years, it's something new, or it's something that I just have never thought about before, and I have to really approach it. So it doesn't matter how experienced you are, you're still going to come across things that are going to take a lot of creativity and a lot of information and all that to get it done. So I, I, my bias is towards the master's level people and the certified people. Um, I'm actually starting my own accreditation program, the International Guild of Certified Spiritual Counselors and Coaches. Uh, we're getting that started in the next few weeks, months. Uh, and it's in in tandem with the book that I'm just about done finishing. I'm figuring I'm maybe a month or two away. Um, it's called A Fresh Cup of Counseling, and it's subtitled A Handbook for Spiritual Counseling. And um, basically, I'm hoping that we can... Um, you know, take those people who have that foundation of professional experience and training, and then give them that next toolbox level of spiritual tools, so they really have that excellence. Because those toolbox, you know, those tools are not easy sometimes. It takes a lot of training. Like I, I recommend that anybody who's going to be a spiritual counselor should also um, be a hypnotherapist. So they need to get the hypnosis training. It Doesn't hurt if they if they're a Reiki master or, or light touch healer. And they bring in those kinds of things as well.
0: For hypnosis, is it the clinical hypnotherapist or the hypnosis certification?
1: Hypnosis certification is fine. Yeah, they don't have to be. I'm a hypnotherapist, but that was because I had the clinical training. But uh, Kathy is a master uh, master certified hypnotist, and she's amazing. And, um, you know, so, you know, as long as you get the right training, that's that's fine. In fact, we're going to we're thinking of partnering, partnering with one of the hypnosis guilds to, you know, be part of the, the spiritual certification training.
0: So that's wonderful. I think it's really mm-hmm. exciting that you're doing that. I am really excited about the book and the training, because I definitely want to be one of the first to go through it. <laughs> I
1: always promised you that you would be. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: I've been cheerleading for this vision for years now. <laughs> yes. It didn't come
1: uh, quite as quickly as we would like, but you know it's okay. We're we're here. We're at this point.
0: Everything in divine order. Wonderful. There? So, how can listeners find you? What is the best way?
1: Uh, there's two, the best way is probably by phone. Uh, just text me. So I'll give you my number. It's seven eight six two zero one two four six eight. You can thank my wife for the two four six eight. Who do we appreciate? She's such a trip. <laughs> Okay, so Kathy got that one for me per, uh, specifically. So 786-201-2468. And the other thing is you can ch- find us on uh, www.innerlifetransformations.org.
0: Okay. Great. So I'll put those things in the show notes. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so some a couple fun questions. So what is the best piece? Oh, these I didn't give you ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. what is the best piece of advice that you that you've ever been given
1: oh boy um i've gotten some really great stuff over the years let me think about that the best piece of advice i've ever been given okay um for a long time i struggled i because i I'm, i teach religion at fiu and uh, you know i have that min, a ministerial background too i struggled with um a saying from Jesus where he talked about his disciples. He overheard them uh, talking about who was the most important one of them all. And you just got this impression, he's going, really, guys, after all that I've taught you? And he said, he is first shall be last and whose last shall be first. And they never quite understood that until about a year and a half, two years ago, when someone said, don't you think he means that all the people who've been humble, who've been codependent, lost, who've always been at the end of the line, isn't it time for them to be at the front of the line? And all those people that have already been in the front of the line, maybe it's time for them to learn a little humility and be at the at the end. So the I'm not so sure that's advice as more of a way of looking at things for for those of us um, where we are really working in this therapy to teach people. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. Now, he could have stopped right there and nobody would have disagreed. Great, nope. great advice. But he said, no, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the theme of all of our work is teaching people to love themselves, to treat themselves with kindness and love the same way they would for their best friend or their children, whatever. And when they do that, it literally transforms their lives. So it's time for a lot of the people that I work with to be the line leaders in kindergarten, and they don't have to be the last one in the end anymore. So I don't know if that quite fits with advice. but That's,
0: that's great yes yes that's wonderful okay what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self
1: Mm. like
0: your teen self it can be like teen or younger
1: no i would tell my myself in my 20s get your ass into therapy but the sad thing is i don't think i would have understood what the hell was going on Mm -hmm. and so it really is no wine before it's time you know it's just like um, I was ready for it when I finally was, and that was in my 30s, when my incest memories came back. And it's just like, okay, uh, I guess I need to do this now. Um, and I'm glad I wasn't afraid to do it, but uh, and I had some wonderful therapists that were very helpful, so I'm really grateful for that. But um, I wished I would have been able to uh, not be such a workaholic, and, uh, which is my way of running away from, um, from all the pain, and uh, be more, more centered but, you know, it is what it is.
0: Yes, I hear the, that. Ki-
1: ki- the kids, the people are getting it much earlier today. I've got some yes. 17 and 18 year old uh, kids that are incest survivors that are doing the work that I couldn't do till I was 36. I can't believe what these kids are doing today. So I'm so, so happy to see this, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree. I've seen, I've met a couple young adults, you know, or 21 that if I only had like a part, like a little ounce of what they had at that age. It's just amazing. Um, Things are definitely shifting and that younger generation is a lot more awake and ready to do this kind of work. And even with severe trauma, it's just it's it's refreshing that that things are moving in that direction, even though sometimes right now it's kind of hard to see. But they're there.
1: It is. And it's really funny. I mean, we have a lot of, um, you know, my generation was considered the indigo kids we were the ones that were the John Kennedys and the Martin Luther Kings and all that were, we're really helping the planet. Abraham Lincoln, all those people were were, were were those people that were beginning the spiritual transformation. Gandhi, Mother Teresa. But now we've got these crystal star rainbow kids out there. And I'm again, God has a sense of humor. Okay, Tom, we're going to start having you work with 11 to 14-year-old girls. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I have this rapport with them that's just hysterical. We have so much fun. But they're like 11 going on 35, 12 going on 32. I've never seen kids who I literally work with them almost like they're adults while remembering their kids because they have insight and awareness I sure as hell didn't have until my 30s. Wow. And, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's really inspiring to see these kids who are already spiritually absolutely aware of who they are. They know their angelic lineage. They know that they, they're, they've they're, got Jesus or Buddha energies or whatever. And it's like, whoa, okay. So it, so there's, there's obviously a whole generation of kids coming through that are um, uh, really the transformational kids. And they all look ADD. Um, ah. because, because they're so bored with the way our world is. And the cookie-cutter education system, they're all incredibly bright. I'm sure they're close to genius or more, a lot of them and um they're just so bored with their peer group when are they going to catch up and i tell them probably around college you won't be so lonely you'll start running into people more like you and um and so it's just it's just been kind of amazing lately and there's even a couple of boys coming in now so even the boys are waking up so
0: oh that's awesome that's amazing i'm glad to hear that i feel like that can be its own like its own show its own episode talking about the kids and what's coming in and how things have shifted and mm-hmm. and what that looks like and their spiritual awareness and everything. That's amazing. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show today. I loved speaking with you about everything. And I will put all of your contact information in the show notes. And that's it. It's a wrap.
1: It's a wrap. And thank you so much. And it was wonderful you know, you said, let's be organic about this. And we well, you we've known each other for so long anyway. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) it just it just flowed nice. Thanks a lot.
0: How great was that? Tom is a wealth of information when it comes to healing and transformation. You can tell that his 50 years of experience, it's you can't match that. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't honestly be where I am today and the person that I am today. So I'm eternally grateful for all of his powerful healing work. And I'm glad that he was able to come on the show today and share what he does with you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. If you like the show, share it with a friend and leave a review. I love y'all very much. And until next time.